0: Well, good morning and welcome. We have something special this morning. Uh, In the last four months, it's been pretty busy at GPC, getting increasingly busier as we have returned to normal. One of the things that has kept us busy and one of the ways in which we've seen God at work has been the individuals and the families who have joined our church whether transferring their membership to us or professing their faith in Christ for the first time. We're not required to do this, but we are recommended to do this in our book of church order. And before we do it, I want to highlight why. So everyone that's going to come up in just a moment when I invite them, you need to know that they have made personal and public profession of faith in Christ. That they believe what we believe as a church And they've answered the membership vows, the membership questions. And they could just meet with us, and you never know about it. But when you see someone affirm the faith that you believe, and you see that they're your brother and your sister in the faith, that their family is like your family and its commitment to Christ and to God's Word, that's an encouraging thing. And I want you to see that. I want you to feel that encouragement this morning. So I'm going to call up. I have, I have over 35 names here of people who have joined our church in the last four months. Um, I'm going to ask them to come up. I'll call your name. Just come up. Some of these people won't be here today. And then we're going to ask the five questions publicly, and I'll pray for you. So Jody Cook with Maxine and Madison Cook. Jack Cook. Henry Cook. James Romaine, Susan Cottenden with Jackson and Alex Romaine, Ian McCravey, Ruthie McCravey, y'all can be coming up, Boaz Holmes, Titus Holmes, Morgan Roberts, Tim and Faith Wheeler, Caden Wheeler, Benjamin Austin, James Austin, Theo Meredith and the Meredith family, Ryan and Eileen Norris, Jonah Spate, Aaliyah Spate, Carol Howard, Clay and Lauren and Jack Hearn, Joey and Michelle Krakowiak and their sons Sam and Thomas, Aaron and Amanda McCombs and Allison Dutterer. And if I missed anyone, please come forward and make sure that I correct my notes after the service. So this is the extension of our church family. This is work that God has done that these individuals would profess their faith and want to be a part of our small membership at Greenwood Presbyterian Church. So those of you who are standing, I'm asking you the same questions you've already affirmed. We know what your answer is going to be. But it's good for the church family and for any visitors to hear, what does it mean to belong to a church? And if you don't belong to a church, perhaps this is an invitation for you to consider joining our church. These are the questions of membership. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, that you justly deserve His displeasure, and that you have no hope except for His sovereign mercy? Do you? I do. do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon Him alone for your salvation as He is offered in the gospel? Do you? I do. Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? Do you? I do. Do you promise to support the church? In its worship and its work to the best of your ability, do you? I do. And do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study to pursue its purity and its peace, do you? I do. Amen. Let me pray with thanksgiving for God's work in you and what He will now do through you in our community. Father, we rejoice that your word never returns void. It accomplishes precisely what you would have it do. And for these individuals and families who now are a part of us, formally, officially, we give you thanks for them, for their profession of faith that you have worked in their hearts. We thank you for working in their lives. And now we pray that you would continue to work in them and through them. That the reach of our ministry, your ministry, would be extended through them in the places where they live, the places where they work, and all the things they do each week. Bless them and persevere them in their faith. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.
1: of us and that funeral will be next Saturday afternoon here at GPC we're thankful for the whites we're thankful for the Curtis family and we're thankful for scripture and Pastor Paul has chosen from Colossians chapter 2 the verses are printed for us this is God's will for those who are Christians so let's pray that this will occur And for those who are not yet Christians to believe, repent of sin, and believe on Christ. And not only for each other, but the Bible says we're to pray for all the saints, all the family. So let's pray. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection of your Son. And thank you for the Bible. And Father, we take these words of yours from Colossians 2 and we pray that your people, that you'll encourage them in their heart. Unite your people in love. Father, will you give complete understanding in the full riches of Christ Father, to know this this that you call the mystery of God, Christ. Will you give wisdom and knowledge to the oldest, to the youngest, to all the saints, to this church family. But Father, to the family of Christ throughout the nations, please, that we avoid deception. Deception but disciplined in our knowledge, disciplined in our behavior, that we're firm, growing in faith, our faith in Christ. We thank you for our pastor. We thank you for our leadership. We thank you for the congregation, the family here. And Father, we pray for the bride of your son, these same requests throughout the world, your family, our spiritual family of the Ukraine and Christians in Russia and throughout the nations. Father, we pray for our leadership, our president, President Biden, Father, and Vice President Harris and our leaders and our military, men and women. May they know Christ as their Savior, their Lord. And Father, you tell us to pray for world leaders, to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so, as your family, we ask that you convert Mr. Putin. Make him your own or either remove him. Birth him into the family or remove him. Father, for the good of Christ. Now, Father, we give you ourselves, we give you our Tithes, our offerings, our very lives, and worship to Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask. Amen.
0: For several weeks, we've been considering what I've called nuts and bolts. Nuts and bolts being the means by which all things are held together. So what holds a ministry together? What are the basic ingredients, the components and parts of a biblical ministry and of a local church? We've been looking through different items, different nuts and bolts, to try to ask ourselves, what would a good purpose be? What should a church be committed to? What kinds of things should we focus on? And in the past weeks, and you can go and listen to these online if you have missed those and you would like to hear those, they're all online. But we've talked about being a reaching church and a church that takes seriously our call to nurture our own, particularly our children. We've talked about equipping the body of saints, equipping them with God's word that they might know God's will and that their gifts might be used to serve the living God. And then we talked about goal areas, that we really do want our people to know Christ. Not just to know about Him and to have Sunday school knowledge, but to really and truly, personally, to know Christ. And that our people would grow in grace. That we, all of us, would change and be transformed because of our time spent together as a church family. And then thirdly, we said that the ultimate goal is we want to be the church. We want to really be the church out there in the world in the way that we just prayed for our new members. And I've been trying to sum up over the last several weeks that that being the church is probably best understood in terms of being a fruit-bearing people. That we would not be like trees that are withered, and barren and fruitless, but that we would be fruitful, fruit-bearing in the kinds of things that God has said Christians should bear fruit in. And those have been worship, that we would be a worshiping people, evangelism and missions, that we would practice and support that work of ministry locally and around the world, that we would be a praying people, that we would be a people who practice fellowship and hospitality. And then last week, we looked at the call to bear fruit by being a generous person, that we would use our resources to give and to serve for the glory of God. And now this morning, this one is a little bit challenging uh, in a sermon form, at least I think it is. But the fruit that we want to emphasize this morning is that our people, that we and all of us as individuals, would have what's called a biblical world and life view. What is a world and life view? Who has one, and how can you get it? And why does it really matter to God if it does? That's what we'd like to consider this morning. And our passages of Scripture are Colossians chapter 1 and 2 Timothy chapter 3. Give your attention to the hearing of God's Word. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him he is before all things and in him all things hold together and then 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray that God would bless us in our time together. Lord, would you be our teacher? Would you open our ears? Would you soften our hearts? Would you renew our wills? Would you help us to see more and more what it means to see the world that you've given us through the word that you've given us? And we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. What is a worldview? Who has a worldview and where do you get one? And why does your worldview matter to God. It just sounds a little bit like it's going to be a lecture, and that's not what it is. It's a sermon, and it's going to take us here at the end of it. But it'll feel a little bit differently as we get there because I need to define some terms and do some explaining. So what is a worldview? A worldview is quite simply, the simplest definition I could give you is It is a conceptual grid through which we perceive and interpret the world and all the people on that world. Let me say that again. It is a conceptual grid. It is how we see, how we perceive, how we interpret the world and everything in it and all the people on it. That's a worldview. A worldview answers ultimate questions questions like who am i and who are you and why in the world are we all breathing and how are we made to live are there moral standards or expectations that that govern us and our consciences and who are we made to worship if we're worshiping creatures we're, Who do we worship? How do we worship? What do we worship? A worldview answers those questions. And there are two simple categories of worldview that I'm gonna speak from about this morning. Now, there are all kinds of worldviews, but I'm giving you the simplest two categories. And that is, there is a biblical worldview defined by Christian belief, and there's a non biblical worldview. Defined by unbelief, not Christian belief. So the simplest of terms, a Christian worldview and a non-Christian worldview. Those are the two things that are before us this morning. David Dockery, in his excellent little article on Christian worldview, says this. A Christian worldview is built on belief in truth. And results in an all-embracing system that shapes religion, natural and social sciences, law, history, health care, the arts, the humanities, and all disciplines of study with application for all of life. Not for some of life, for all of life. So a Christian worldview looks at God's world and all the people on it through a lens of Holy Scripture and says, the Lord is the one, the creator of it all. And what I know of that world, I look first to Him to reveal to me what is true about Him and the world and everything in it. So quite simply, that's, that's what a worldview is, and that's what a Christian worldview is. A non-Christian worldview is obviously the opposite. It's just not Christian. It'll have any number of lenses that it might look through, but it won't be looking through a Christian lens or through a biblical lens. So, who has a worldview? Already on point number two. Who has a worldview? Everyone has a worldview. Maybe they just don't know it. And where do you get it? Where do you get a worldview? Anywhere. Everywhere. You're getting worldview. You're picking up worldview all the time from everything around you. Look at your children. Your children are getting their worldview from everything they engage. Everything that lights up is shaping a worldview and expectations for them. Everyone has a worldview, and every Christian has a worldview, but most have not thought it through. And that has resulted in what we might call a a patchwork of ideas or thoughts or lenses that is inconsistent and incoherent. So the challenge this morning is for us to say, okay, if a worldview matters to God, which we'll get to, am I being intentional with my understanding of how to view the world and all the people on it? And all the issues that swirl around those people in all the different lands that make up the earth. But we are getting a worldview whether intentionally or unintentionally. So I want you to think with me about this: how you can get a worldview anywhere and from anyone. Let me give you an example, illustration. It's lunchtime you decide to go to a restaurant. The restaurant you walk into is Subway. Subway restaurant. Eat fresh, right? You walk into Subway, you order a sandwich, you take it home, and you present it to your wife, your children. Now, what do they say? Maybe they say, thank you. In my home, what they would say is, whew, you smell like Subway. Have you ever had that experience? You walk in the Subway, and you walk out smelling like Subway. Is it true? Is it just me that notices this? Let me give you another example. You're traveling. You're on a road trip. Um, it's time to get gas. You pull over. All right, nowadays you can pay at the pump. So some years ago, you pull over, you get your gas, and you go into the gas station, and you pay for your gas. You come back out. You get in your car, and what does your spouse say? Whew, you smell like smoke. Cigarettes. You can't walk into a gas station without picking up the odor, right? You can't walk into a subway without picking up the odor. It goes with you. And you may not even smell it on you, but the people around you will. Let me suggest two silly but true illustrations. That's how easily worldviews are picked up. You don't realize you're smelling like it. You don't realize you're thinking like it. But you are picking up the scent, the odor, the aroma, whether good or bad. You're picking it up more easily than you know. Video games, television, movies, music, schools, universities, media, news programs, social media, are all dripping with worldview. They have a narrative, and all of them want you to buy into it. And the Christian has to be discerning, because there can be some fine-sounding elements of a worldview, but you got to make sure you know the whole and that you're able to think about the subject from God's own perspective. Listen, there are all kinds of worldviews. There are all kinds of lenses, all kinds of glasses through which you can view the world. I was listening to a country music song just yesterday. Some of you know this song. Listen to the lens, the glasses that you can view the world through. I'm going to need some whiskey glasses because I don't want to see the truth. Yeah, I'm going to need some whiskey glasses if I'm going to make it through. I see the world through whiskey glasses. Ain't nothing else to do but sip around the truth. It's actually pretty profound. You could find a way to view the world, and of course, it's a heartbreak. Once again, it's a heartbreak in a country song. And he says, Man, the only way I can view this broken relationship is through whiskey glasses and drinking away my pain. That's a worldview of how to deal with pain and hurt and broken relationship. And there are a lot of people who are sipping around the truth, neglecting the truth, just numbing the pain, because they don't have a worldview that can take head-on the things that this world will present against you. So there's all kinds of worldviews. There are all kinds of lenses. The question the Christian must ask is, do you have, are you equipped with a biblical lens? Can you process the categories, the issues that are swirling? And there are a lot swirling in our culture right now. I'm so thankful for our elders who just completed a few weeks ago that series on human sexuality. Because issues of gender and sexuality and all the dysphoria, you've got to have biblical categories to think through those. Or you can get pulled into or sucked into any number of directions. John Calvin said there's a gift that God has given us. To give us glasses, to give us spectacles, to help us to view the world in which we live. Listen to these two quotes from him. Scripture, holy scripture, is like a pair of spectacles. That's glasses, kids. You don't call them spectacles. It's a pair of spectacles which dispels the darkness and gives us a clear view of God. For with Scripture as our guide and teacher, he makes things clear to us that would otherwise be unseen by us. He virtually forces us to behold them, as if he had assisted our dull sight with eyeglasses. The church has been given Holy Scripture. And our best view of the world is by seeing it through God's Word. And that is our third point. That is why your world view matters to God. It truly matters to the Lord how you are viewing his world. And if you're not viewing it through his word, you're probably going to come to a lot of dangerous conclusions about the things that you're going to encounter on his world. God has given us His world. We know in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, He reveals to us the first man, the first woman, the garden that they were given to keep, to serve, to tend to. And God's world was good. God gave them each other in a marriage and said, Fill the earth. And so we know of things like man and wife and sexuality and family and God giving rules to be obeyed and consequences for when rules are disobeyed. God gave us His world and we know that through Holy Scripture. God has also given us His Word. Some might call it an instruction manual of sorts. He has given us His Word to reveal to us His will for us. How we're to live. How life is to be done. And so He's given us his holy word. Psalm 119, verse 160 says this: All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Eternally true. Do you view God's word? Do you view Scripture that way? Do you have that view of Scripture? That it's all true. And it's eternal. Those truths are eternal. They they don't change. They won't change. He's given us His world. He's given us His word. They came to us in that order. And the one helps us to interpret the other. Get the order wrong. Get the glasses wrong. And you come to wrong conclusions about the world and all the people on it. You come to dangerous conclusions, even life-threatening conclusions eternal life-threatening conclusions. So if you approach God's Word through God's world and try to make sense of His Word through your experience, you're going to come to wrong conclusions. They were given to us in the reverse order. We understand His world and our place in it through His Word. We have to get that order correct. For the years that I worked with college students... One of the things I loved about Reformed University Fellowship is that it was committed to making sure students had a category for a biblical world and life view. And now, he's not here this morning, but Jonathan Cook exists for the college students that they have somebody to process thinking about the world from the perspective of the Bible thinking about their their study, their discipline from a Christian perspective. One of our students told me recently who had attended that Sunday school uh, with our elders on human sexuality, she said, I'm a senior, I'm graduating with a degree in science, and that Sunday school class, the first time I've heard about how genetics and the fall of sin have a relationship with each other. That's a biblical worldview. That's learning to think about God's creation and the fall and how everything has been affected. So that's a biblical one example of a biblical world and life view. It matters. It matters for our students. Students on every campus everywhere are being bombarded by great ideas that may not be in any way faithful to the truths we believe to be eternally true. And at the center of that eternal truth that shapes our view of all things is this. God's not only given us His world and His word. The scriptures say He's given us His Son. And in Him, all things hold together. He was before all things. He's ultimately the creator of all things. And everything holds together in Him or here it is, falls apart without him. In him all things hold together. Listen again to Colossians 1. Just one snippet of his thought in the beginning of his letter. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. The supremacy of Jesus Christ. That's a Christian worldview. And if all things are held together by Him and by His will, you must know Him in order to understand His creation. Creation, you may understand aspects of it, but you'll never understand the why, which is the ultimate question. Those of you who are in the science field know. Those of you who've studied science know, boy, science is so helpful. What a gift from God science is, that we can understand aspects of His creation and and we can learn from it and it can be... Used for medicine and healthcare and so many amazing gifts of God. But as someone else said, you know, science can tell you about the apple tree or the orange tree and, and history, maybe, of how the apple tree has progressed, but science can't tell you why the apple tree or why the orange tree. And it's God's word that reveals to us the larger story of what He's revealed He's doing in creation and in recreation of the earth. God has given us His Son and in Him all things hold together or without Him all things will fall apart. The Christian worldview, simply stated, is a comprehensive, coherent, and unfolding story Of creation and fall and redemption and ultimately consummation when all things are perfected. From Genesis to Revelation, God has revealed that this is what's happening in His world. It's what He is doing. And a Christian worldview, when rooted in Scripture, it helps me to know who I am. It helps me to know who you are. It helps me to have a concept of the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the creepy crawly things, and why the sun rises and sets as it does. All the things mentioned in Psalm 8, which was our call to worship. The psalmist saying, when I consider the work of your hands in this earth, all the Everything. The fish of the sea, the birds of the air. You see, that's comprehending what God has given us in His world through His Word. It helps me understand my family, my children, that the Lord loves children. It helps me understand my neighbors, even the people living on the other side of the planet. All things are perceived and understood by a Christian through a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview. Why does it matter? Why do worldviews matter so much? Well, let me conclude with this. I'm going to call it the lesson from the Bradford pear tree. So you may have seen, um, as I did this week in the news, oh, look, how Bradford pears are like worldviews. You can't really see that picture, but for those of you who don't know the Bradford pear Um, I'll say this. It teaches us a lot about worldviews and why worldview matters. What do I mean? Number one, the Bradford pear came over from Asia around 1965. That was before I was born. They became very popular because they were cheap. They were very attractive ornamental trees. They grow and spread very quickly. And they transfer easily. So it seemed like a great idea. Hey, let's let's get the Bradford pear in abundance in America. Well, worldviews can be that way. It's a great idea. It's popular. A new idea. Somebody introduced to us. And it looks good. Right? The Bradford pear, however, as it matures, does not pass the smell test. Just like a bad world view. So as the tree has matured and as it grows, it's been described as smelling like rotting fish. Other words I won't use. It's all in a scientific article. Stinks. The Bradford pear looks good early on, but as it matures, it begins to stink. The smell doesn't match the appearance. The Bradford pears, I understand, uh, have cross-pollinated and created hybrids. And the hybrids are worse than the original. It just gets worse as they cross-pollinate. And worldviews are that way too. You can cross-pollinate worldviews and have a Christian-ish worldview. And that can create a monster far worse than the first Bradford tree. Eventually, the Bradford pear does this. It chokes out all the other trees around it because it dominates. It creates a covering, a shade cover that will starve out other trees. It will starve birds out. They call it a bird desert. So, and someone told me this week that they saw this true in their yard. The birds are gone because they're not getting the insects that they need, and so they leave and go where the food is. So you got this beautiful tree that now smells like a rotten fish. It's costing you your bird life. It's choking out all your other trees, desirable trees. And then the ultimate way that it models a worldview is your second picture. Everybody hates them because they break so easily they can't withstand the storms when the wind and the rain comes. Literally, they they break very easily. So you put it all together and you've got something that at first looks good, came from Asia, got to be a great idea. And then before you know it, there's nothing but resentment. That thing's not pretty. It smells like a dead fish. And it's killing everything that I'd rather have. And then it breaks, and it dies, and it's worthless. So much so that the state of South Carolina, effective 2024, is outlawing the Bradford pair. I wish that we could outlaw some worldviews this morning <laughs> by 2024. We can't do that, but what we can say is, folks, the Scriptures are clear. There is a way to perceive God's world. And it's through His Word. We're not embarrassed about the Bible. There are a lot of churches that are embarrassed about the Bible and want to explain around it. GPC is not one of those churches. We really do believe in the inspiration of Scripture. That God has revealed Himself and His will for His people in His Word. That's what we believe. We're not embarrassed about the Bible. And that Bible tells us that all creation is ruined... It's frustrated, but that one day it's going to be made right. And just as God makes sinners right through a table, He now feeds those sinners who look to faith in Him, who are Christians, to remind them that God's world only makes sense through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. And that's what we believe at GPC. So as we prepare to come to the table, we're going to sing in just a moment before we do. But I just, I want you to consider this. Have you thought through your worldview? Is your worldview more like a Bradford pear? Is it a patchwork worldview? Is it something that would be worth thinking through, talking about with others? To really start to grow in your faith? To see your vocation as a Christian? to see your recreation as a Christian, to see your family as a Christian family and all the beautiful implications that that would have. We need to have a biblical world and life view, simply put, because everything else will break under the winds and storms of life when they come. We want to be committed to equipping the saints to think in that way. Why does it matter so much? Why does your worldview matter to God? Because Philippians chapter 2 says this, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why it matters. We have to see all of creation in light of who Jesus is and what his resurrection has done. Let's pray together. Lord, that's our prayer for one another, that we would see your world through the lens of your word. We would see ourselves and one another for who we truly are, and that, Lord, the table and the power and the hope of resurrection and the recreation that you promise to one day fulfill, to consummate, Lord, would these things be our hope? Would we see ourselves in light of who you have said that we are? And then, Lord, may we live accordingly. We ask and we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.